Hey everyone, it's Ryan again with the Blockchain Podcast. And today I want to talk about uh, kind of my greatest fear with cryptocurrencies or crypto assets at the moment. And if you've been listening to the other podcast, you've kind of probably heard me trying to evaluate where we are, evaluate the situation, evaluate the value of these different uh, um, assets and so forth or currencies. And I suppose in my own mind, the reoccurring theme for me personally is, you know, do I add more to my investment positions? Do I take some off the table? And in kind of making that decision, uh, I kind of look at, you know, where we are in the cycle, what I think the future looks like, um, strategies around how much of my, you know, investment portfolio I should put in the crypto, what I think the returns are, what I think the risk is, and all of these things. And I have a very good understanding of the technical underpinnings. I think I have a good understanding of the core value principles, and there are still things I learn every week. You know, this is a very fast-evolving market and uh, industry, but, you know, I've been in these industries and markets and so forth, whether it has been, you know, machine learning or AI or drones or even AR and VR. Uh, they, They are kind of these cycles where there's a lot of hype you know, a lot of uh, initial interest where people weren't aware before, then they become aware and they share that and they see other people have done well or they see a killer application or something perks their interest and their imagination goes wild. And really, the reason I I point out, you know, AI machine learning um, and then AR, VR, you know, augmented reality, uh, virtual reality and drones um, and robotics and even IoT, I should add it to the list. And maybe even if you go way back, you know, um, nanotechnology lab on a chip, if you want to get into some other industries. And what is always the case in these is it's kind of like this discovery process happens where people are like, what the hell is this? This is new. This is exciting. And they kind of get um, um, juiced up on, I don't know, hopium or, you know, this irrational exuberance or mania or whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, reality sets in a little bit, and, you know, maybe it goes up and there's this fear of missing out. That's what you're seeing in crypto right now. And so people start piling in money and then people start thinking about it. They start evaluating it. They're looking for results and maybe as many results as they expected don't come and things kind of start coming back down and they settle and, and then maybe they take another leg down or an up leg up real quick. And so the, the market just kind of oscillates, but inevitably, inevitably the, the steady state, if you will, if you're an engineering uh, person, you'll, you know what I mean by that, but the steady state solution on this or the equilibrium is something down the line, say five years from now, when everything's kind of settled and then maybe there's another point, you know, 10 years or 15 years down the line when some other things or breakthroughs happen. But it always ends up coming back to quote unquote reality or steady state or equilibrium. And in the meantime, to get there, it's in this transient state, right? It can go up, it can go down, it can go, you know, things can be chaotic or turbulent, you know, and that's the same for any sort of engineering problem too, say fluids or heat transfer or thermal, you know, thermal changes and things. And, you know, I won't get too much into kind of the, my engineering background, but you see a lot of the same similarities, both in mathematics or sciences or finance or psychology or economics, where, you know, these these patterns occur. And just with crypto, it's been exceedingly vicious or not vicious isn't probably the right word. It's more um, just uh, the momentum and the swings have just been enormous and the growth uh, has been enormous. But it's also underpinned by the fact that there's very low friction to enter. It's a global market. So it has all of these things that basically take away all the friction in the system. And so it's been really one of the biggest uh, growth stories that we've seen maybe ever. Um, but 
it's also understandable given what it is and the nature of it. Um, so with that said, I, I kind of want to talk about what my greatest fear in this when I'm thinking about my portfolio and how to allocate it and how to balance that with other investments outside of crypto and just kind of looking at, you know, my age and my goals and, and, and all of that. And then also when I started out in uh, crypto and Bitcoin back in 2011, the mindset that I had then and the risk profile that I had then and how ironically i think i'm adopting a you know a similar sort of risk profile however with bitcoin that worked out very very well but it was also a low amount of risk that i took you know uh, many years ago and that paid off well but it was only because you know i kind of held on to it and you know we had this crazy upswing back in 2013 and now more recently we had a huge upswing on this one up to 20,000 or so and it was the fact that i saw very early on an interesting idea that had potential and I understood enough about the underpinnings and about how this could develop and I also took some risk you know I could have gone to nothing it could have went nowhere that very easily that could have been the case um, but it didn't end up going that and you know you can look back at uh, history and say oh well you know I, I predicted that and my, my number was always 10,000 I said I think this can go to 10,000 that was back of the envelope sort of market cap with the amount of coins and so forth and I said that that's probably a reasonable number that this can get to if it catches on globally not necessarily retail level but if everyone's aware of it and so we hit that and we went past that and ironically we're kind of oscillating around that 10,000 mark now there's nothing particularly special about that other than like I said I, I thought it was reasonable given all the all things considered at the time so I was able to see that. I also was able to see that it would be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to censor for governments. And many people were initially afraid that it would be squashed by regulation. And I said, well, it's, it's just not, it's not really possible for how the system's set up. And so understanding that took a lot of risk off the table in my mind because I knew that it would survive. Um, with these newer coins, though, I'm looking at the analysis. I'm taking, you know, probably in some ways similarly sized bets relative to everything else. Um, and, you know, I'm looking at things that are um, outside of the normal, you know, everyday purview, which would be something like Tezos or EOS or things like that. Potentially NEO. I don't have a position in NEO at this point. Um, that's for no other reason other than I quite haven't quite finished my thesis on that and analysis. Um, I have positions in a lot of these things, but I also got in pretty low in a lot of these things. And so when I kind of recommend things or talk about things or talk about cryptocurrencies or assets at the moment, my biggest fear, and without further ado, I suppose, is not so much about the projects having some sort of value, not necessarily the projects won't have things built on top of them. I think, you know, a, a chunk of them will, not, not a lot, but, you know, some, you know, around 10 or so projects will probably have real things on top of them, um, on top of their platform. But my fear is overpaying, okay, overpaying for these tokens or these tradable assets or these investments or whatever you want to call them, overpaying for Bitcoin, overpaying for Litecoin or EOS or Tezos and things at these levels. And so if these things retrace, you know, to lower levels, it's fine. My basis is low enough that uh, it's, not, it's not too big of a deal. Obviously, I'd like to keep gains, but I'm okay with... Uh, the thesis that I started out with, which is, you know, a big multiple, a big return um, on certain assets. And if I don't get that, you know, I don't get that. And if I'm out a little bit of money, it's not that big of a deal. But if I'm right, I make a lot of money. And so that's kind of the thesis that I've adopted for my core position. 
positions. But as someone else listening to this today, you know, uh, February 24th, 2018, um, I would look at the market and I look at kind of the price patterns and I look at, you know, Bitcoin up and down and retracing. I look at the chart back in 2013 and I would advise people to do that. And I look at the fact that this is a speculative psychological market um, and that it's not based on fundamentals at this point. And the fundamentals, as I talked about in my last um, podcast, are hard to discern as it is. So um, Bitcoin, again, it's probably better to go listen to that podcast. It's, you know, kind of give you an idea of my thinking. But, you know, these assets don't have the same sort of features as traditional equities or sort of bonds or other cash flow sort of investments. And so it's very important to understand that these may be just positions that you need to trade in and out of. Now, granted, um, fundamentally, I think it's correlated that if, you know, a lot more people adopt, a lot more retail adoption of Bitcoin, a lot more you know, activity, instruments, financial tools, etc. I think it'll go up. That's, you know, that's a basic thesis that I think a lot of people have. But it won't go up if it's already overvalued, right? You can have something go up to 20,000, come down to 2,000 and hang out there for years and years and years and maybe go up to 4,000 or maybe go up to 6,000 and it can still be, you know, a decade or more later. And you can see this in, you know, gold markets, silver markets, commodity markets of different sorts, the dot-com bubble. You can see a lot of companies a look at the charts uh, about a lot of those tech companies that just kind of really shot up in 2000 and some and I shouldn't even say some a lot just never recovered those uh, those gains. So I think that's where it's very, very important to find solid projects to at least hedge against that in a way. So I guess the, the first the first line of defense is first to understand, you know, what a good project is, what the features of a good project is, and, you know, will these things have legs? Now, the interesting thing about crypto is if it has a deployed blockchain, it actually has in some sort of uh, theoretical limit or theoretical thinking, I should say, it kind of has infinite legs because it's not going to go bankrupt, right? Uh, Bitcoin's not going to go bankrupt. Litecoin's not going to go bankrupt. The, the the database and the software is all deployed and it operates more or less autonomously as long as people are running nodes and mining. And as long as that's profitable to some degree, people will do that. And if it becomes unprofitable, some people will drop off and then some people will take up that slack and people will be in lower, ju- lower electrical power jurisdictions or whatever the case may be and it works itself out. So the interesting thing, one interesting thing about crypto is I don't think you have to worry about it disappearing completely as a functional technology. Um, but what you do have to worry about is its value just disappearing because nobody cares about it. Nobody wants to trade it. And, you know, when I say disappearing, still probably not zero, zero, but pretty damn close for a lot of coins out there um, that are platform kind of based or currency. So if they're tokens, those can go very, very low. Like, for example, um, you know, uh, look at BitConnect, you know, when it basically got busted and you know, as a scam and so forth, it dropped. But there's still some value, I think, to those tokens, right, because they still exist. But it's like 90 percent plus uh, reduction in what they were. So that goes back again to the fear of overpaying for things. So if Bitcoin is, uh, I don't know what it is exactly right now, but, you know, it's probably close to, you know, 200 billion, 100 something billion, right? So if it's actually only worth, you know, somewhere around 100 billion, you know, and someone got in at, say, 190 billion market cap, it could take a very, very long time or it could never recover that. And so it's, it's, a, it's a real risk there. And now, granted, if it goes down and you lose 50% and say you allocated a reasonable amount of your portfolio to it, you only lose half of it with the potential to gain, you know, X amount. And that's that's classic investing. That's classic gambling. That's classic, 
you always want you you want your your return your return amount and your odds uh, related to risk to be in your favor. So if you make enough bets where the risk reward is in your favor, you know those ratios. And if you're talking about Texas Hold'em or some game, you can actually you know do a, a good analysis there. But in investing, the risk is you know you kind of have to figure out what is that risk, how do you evaluate that, how do you mitigate that, how do you educate yourself to become better at estimating that risk and then you have to figure out what is the potential reward and again in this podcast i'm kind of speculating or talking about or trying to understand what those two factors are what are the risks what are the rewards and that's fundamentally what we have to figure out and then between those two things you can make a good assessment of what kind of investment that you should be making what sort of uh position you should be taking, sizing your position properly, timing your positions properly, and keeping abreast of the fast evolving technology and leadership in different areas. So that's, that is at the core level, my, my big concern with even, you know, recommending anybody buy anything at this point, you know, I, I haven't added to my positions at these levels. My personal opinion is that I feel that we could have um, another quite deep correction from here. You know, I mentioned this before at the early part of the year that we would see a a sizable crash, and we did. Um, And I'm looking at the charts now, and again, take this with a grain of salt. Anyone that tries to predict the future, take it with a grain of salt. But um, I I would not be surprised to be, you know, from these levels to see another 50% reduction. And if we did see that, you know, say uh, my Bitcoin price would be, you know, somewhere on the 5,000-ish. And even though it reached somewhere in the 6K-ish, that probably could have been a position that I could have added some more. You know, me personally, I wouldn't be too concerned with adding more at that level, Um, even though there's, there's, um, there's, there is a potential that it could see 2,000-ish. Again, that is another big sell-off case. That would be uh, getting the 50% and then hitting another 50% after that. Now, I'm not saying it'll see 2,000. I'm saying if it was 2,000, I would buy um, quite a bit. Um, not over, not overcompensate, but you know, I would take on more, and I'd be able to take on more just because it was a much lower price. But 5,000 is kind of the central or the centroid or the average that I'm kind of looking at to see how it performs around there if it ever gets there again now if it hits or bounces off of 6,000 ish or it bounces uh, from 7,000 back up and starts oscillating around that you know you could still break lower or you could break higher but at that level given the brand recognition and given all the things that are going on with lightning network and I think I could stomach somewhere in the 5K range pretty easily. And if it doesn't reach there, then I kind of have to evaluate the situation a little bit closer. But regardless, you know, it still feels expensive relative to fundamentals. And if fundamentals is nothing else than uh, people using it and it being used in real retail, if that is actually the value proposition, then it's it, it certainly may be overvalued um, with that. And the question is, can it catch up to that value? And then what's the return uh based on that. And I think one of the harder ones for me to um, look at when it comes to value is Ethereum, especially with all these new technologies coming out. Um, I think I think Ethereum could really have a run for its money with, say, Tezos and EOS. And not that it won't be a good platform for you know these token sales because people are used to that. There's a certain amount of infrastructure built around that. Not a ton, but a, a reasonable amount. But the switching cost from that to be on some other chain, it just... Uh, I'm not so sure. So I, I, I could see EOS or Tezos or even NEO um, taking a big portion of Ethereum's share, whereas the Bitcoin brand seems to be so strong 
that I, th- I feel that from a currency, cryptocurrency point of view, that it'll be very hard to, um, to overtake Bitcoin in the cryptocurrency space. I actually do believe that. That could change in a month. You know, the data changes a lot or the conditions change a lot. But a, a currency has different components to it than, you know, a smart contract or an application where, you know, the functionality of it and the cost of uh, to the users or deployment is a, is a much bigger factor, I think, um, with those. So, for example, if I'm going to build an application like Steemit or BitShares, I can't do that on uh, Ethereum. I can't do it effectively. It's really not the right tool for the job, but I can do that on EO. So if there's a lot of applications that require specific functionality, they're going to gravita- gravitate towards a specific version of uh, a blockchain project, whether that's EOS or Tezos or Ethereum or Neo or whatever it is. If you need some sort of identity components or, or verification in that regard, Neo is kind of help building that in, and other ones can do that as well. But there's going to be features and functions that each of these projects possess that is greater or worse than other projects. And then there's going to be what are the killer apps that come out of that? You know, there needs to be a killer application. Whether you're looking at an analogy like Windows, you know, for an operating system and you look at some sort of text editor or something, or you're looking at some sort of game, there's got to be some sort of killer app, you know, for blockchain that has a similar sort of, uh, you know, thrust. And if that occurs on a particular blockchain, that's going to be a big deal. And again, for Ethereum, it was kind of this crowdsourcing, Kickstarter sort of token sale sort of thing. That was the killer app at least so far. Um, for Bitcoin, it was just this digital currency. That was the killer app. For EOS and for these others and Tezos and others, we still need to find a killer app. But the killer apps even that exist now are not quite to the level that makes me feel very comfortable saying this one won or this other one won. Okay. And so I think time is going to tell. I think we're seeing these, you know, second gen, you know, blockchains add some functionality, even first gen blockchain like uh, Bitcoin adding lightning. But these third gen ones are going to be very interesting because there could be even the potential that the third gens are actually going to drive the first and second gen. And now what I mean by that is if there are a lot of real applications, rich applications that a lot of people are using that use, you know, say something like EOS or whatever the case may be, then what you're going to see is more people in the digital crypto space. And I think Bitcoin will still be able to hold its currency status and Ethereum will probably be able to still hold its, you know, uh, token sale status, if you will. And if people are, you know, deploying additional uh, projects, they still might use Ethereum. Or if there is EOS is just really on top of things, they might just use the EOS platform to crowdsource as well. So um, that's where Ethereum actually out of all the projects, and this isn't to say that I don't own some Ethereum and have it as a portion of my portfolio, but it is one of the ones that I think might be the most susceptible to disruption or um a dramatic reduction in its uh, market share, and that's often that's often very um, uh, it might be controversial to a lot of people because a lot of people are huge Ethereum believers, and it does have a lot of potential. But I just don't see it as having the same aspects of these other projects, and not to mention, you know, a really centralized not centralized a a really well set up um, uh, funding funding mechanism to really support these projects. So I know some people have donated Ethereum and there's and there's talk or at least the creation of a fund to fund different Ethereum related um, projects. But, you know, EOS has a ton of money that they've raised. Tezos has a ton of money that they've raised. You know, the 
um, 200 million plus that they raise, it's even worth a ton more just because of the appreciation of Ethereum and Bitcoin since then. And so having a bunch of cash to support an ecosystem and a mechanism to do that is actually very, very important. And this goes on to uh, kind of this different uh, sort of thinking, which is network building is important. You're going to need money for network building. And in spite of that, Bitcoin's still been able to be successful. And that's because it had this first mover advantage and other things going on was the only real, you know, kind of cryptocurrency for a, a long time. But it doesn't have this centralized funding sort of mechanism. It used to have the Bitcoin Foundation, which is, seems more or less defunct nowadays, but still it never had what these other projects like uh, Tezos or EOS have, which is this excess capital to bootstrap this ecosystem, if you will. And and I think that's very important for sustainability. Um, because again, I think the bet now, the bet now for cryptocurrencies is real world adoption, real world usage. The bet for these applications is killer apps, just really killer apps built on top of it that just have legs for, you know, ever. Um, maybe not forever, but a long duration. So that's the thing that's ultimately going to drive these. And if the projects don't uh, generate those killer apps, they're probably going to just go by the wayside, right? You may end up in a situation where you have a Microsoft operating system, you have Linux, and you have Mac OS sort of operating systems. And you may see that with Bitcoin, you know, Tezos, Ethereum, slash ethereum i should say or eos you're going to see a one two three potentially because the main um applications or main platforms they're they're more or less trying to do very similar things so it is a race and it's going to be kind of who comes out on top and who has the most built on top of it and the reason that ethereum and bitcoin you know i think are worth the most at this point is because they do actually have a lot of things built on top of it for all the difficulties with ethereum or the issues that i see it does have a lot of people using it it does have a lot of transfer of tokens it has a lot of crowd sales on it it does have a real functional value but again going back to my primary fear is is it overvalued for the value that it for uh, is it overvalued for what it's providing now and what it can provide in the near to medium term future and i think that's the question mark that i have so that's that's overall uh, my thoughts at a high level I think uh, at these current levels, I'm still waiting around looking for a, a correction, another correction in the market. I'm kind of referencing 2013 as a similar sort of profile. So taking a look at that with the caveat that Mt. Gox failing uh, occurred in that time. So the huge downdraft that we saw, that kind of second big wave down, if you will. Uh, we may not see that this time around, but there are certainly... Uh, plenty of opportunities for uh, you know these big systematic sort of risks, but but I, maybe arguably not as big as Mt. Gox, as it handled like 90% you know or so of the uh, Bitcoin trading transactions, and we don't have that sort of centralized uh, issue nowadays. But other things can happen. People can lose interest, um, you know, and uh, other things can come up. Um, and one other one other project I guess I'll mention out there right now, and one that I'm always a little bit hesitant to recommend or, or talk about, which is Zencash, because I, I typically um, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, these tons of different currencies. But Zencash it is an interesting project. It has some unique aspects to it. Um, with how they're setting up their uh, DAO and so forth or funding. It's similar to how Dash is, but Dash I, hasn't, even though they're more or less centralized and they have, uh, I shouldn't say centralized, but 
they kind of have, you know, uh, a company around it, kind of promoting the coin, trying to get things set up. I, they haven't been as successful as I think they should be, given, you know, more or less that uh, focused sort of leadership. But Zencash is interesting to me because it it is adopting a lot of aspects um, of a good uh, currency system, um, a good technical structure with nodes and with um, mining and with you know, this ability to fund uh, different projects and so forth. So it, it's kind of interesting. It's it's kind of a gamble. And going back to overpaying and value, I think the market cap is somewhere in the 100 million to 150 million. And for me, it's kind of a wild card bet that I've been making because it's not overvalued in my opinion. I think it's a well-run project. It still has some things that need to be worked out. But overall, it may become a very good uh, privacy coin uh, slash transparent coin because you can do one or the other. And it has some aspects of messaging and publishing and some other things. But overall, I think it's decently run. It's not overvalued. Um, it's I've been watching it for a while, and it could po- it could potentially be a very interesting and good return project. It may never for sure reach the status of Bitcoin, but even if it goes from 100-ish million to a billion or 10 billion, that's quite the return um, on, on this project. So that's a little bit of a side note there. Um, again, much, much less established than the others, but if cryptocurrencies overall do take hold at a global level and they are uh, a real form of payment, there will be multiple coins uh, probably maybe up to somewhere on the order of five, you know, Bitcoin, Litecoin, you know, maybe like Zencash, Monero, Z Classic, some flavor of those. And if that does happen and Z- Zencash is run well, you will see a good return on that. Now, I'm not saying, you know, uh, back up the truck and load up on Zencash. I'm saying something interesting to take a look at. Uh, so with that said, be careful out there with uh, what you're paying for. I, I think patience is a virtue that uh, understanding kind of these charting patterns uh, and not buying in 100% to that because charting is just, you know, um, a guessing game, but trying to be more informed in your guessing. But overall, the reason I say that is these markets are psychologically driven. There's not a lot of fundamentals to be driving them. There's no, you know, big uh, profit or earnings that's going to suddenly send it up a whole bunch is not like there's a whole bunch of cash in the bank that's going to send it up a whole bunch you know like a typical equity so just be cautious of that that it is a very psychologically driven sort of thing so make sure you include that in your analysis but also um, you know size your positions properly and for me i would say um, just not being too caught up um, on getting in uh, and, and the fear of missing out because that's a huge red flag when people are all afraid of missing out that also is a is a pretty good indicator that things might be overvalued what you should be um, looking at is whether people um, aren't f- fearful of missing out but they are you know just uh, in despair because things have come down so much and they don't know what to do that's probably when you've seen the bottom right is when there's a lot of despair right now there's still some fear of missing out or FOMO as they call it and so from an indicator and a psychological indicator point of view that's that's concerning to me as a investor who wants to get value uh, for their money those are my thoughts uh, at this time and uh, as always you know check out the website uh, that's where I post uh, the podcast first is uh, uh, blackchain.co I post occasionally to Twitter and Facebook at BlackchainCO, and uh, uh, I uh, will be adding some more content on both of those as time goes on. And so check those out, follow, subscribe, and I'll try and uh, continue putting these out, uh, hopefully on a weekly basis uh, going forward. So see you soon.